So, good morning. Good morning. All right. Good to see everybody. So, like Steve said, we're continuing in Mark. So, Mark is one of the four Gospels. Remember, the first five books of the Bible, or the, the Bible, of the New Testament, are historical accounts. So, that's the history, the first four being what we call the Gospels. Those are the life and death of Christ and uh, Christ's ministry. And then the Acts of the Apostles, really probably more accurately the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but um, would be the account then of after Jesus' resurrection and kind of the birth of the church. So we're in Mark, so it's one of those Gospels. Mark was written by a guy named Mark, um, but he was actually sort of a, a secretary or an assistant, or some, some books would say a translator to Peter. So Peter, who was one of the 12, one of the closest to Christ, to Christ and actually called to lead uh, the, the Jewish church um, was uh, the actual person, the, the, the accounts come from Peter, and Mark penned those into what we have as that gospel. And Steve kind of went into that in week one, kind of explained all that. Jesus, and, and from this account, because Peter was a man of action, right? It was all about, it was all about Jesus did stuff. Uh, you know, Peter, ready, shoot, aim, uh, kind of jumped out of the boat and walked on the water, all that stuff. So that's how Peter flowed. So it's all about Jesus being a servant, but it was still about Jesus' mind being in the kingdom. And so that's where we get sort of this theme for this, this book. So as we jump in, last week Steve talked about Jesus always being surrounded by crowds and how he had to get away to have time alone with his father so that he could re regenerate. So we pick up this story uh, in chapter 4, and Jesus is going to do some teaching. And we're going we're to center on the first parable he teaches, which is the parable of the sower. Uh, so it picks up like this. And so we still got the crowd, uh, which uh, kind of picks up from last week. This is uh, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat uh, in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said this, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and then he quotes an Old Testament prophecy. It says, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, so now he's going to explain it. Then Jesus says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word. 
but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for things, for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So that's Jesus' teaching, and then Jesus' explanation to his closest followers of everything it meant. So as we look at this parable, there's sort of several parts to it. So I'm gonna, we're going to break it down into the different components of it. So there's the sower. We have the sower. There's the seed, and there's the soil. There's actually a fourth character involved, and that's the birds. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. It's pretty clear. When we get to that, I'll, I'll briefly cover that. But birds in Scripture are almost always idioms of Satan or the emissaries of Satan. So it usually means an evil force. Uh, birds are seldom meaning some good thing when you see those in Scripture. So in, in this case, the birds who are coming and eking up were actually Satan, as Jesus said in his description. So the sower. And really what I'm going to do about the, talk about the sowers, I'm going to ask you some questions. So in the parable and the way Jesus describes it, uh, does the farmer seem to avoid the soils that he knows are going to be less fertile than other soils? I mean, it is, it, does Jesus uh, paint this picture or this idea of somebody being kind of selective where they see it? They go, oh, that looks like good soil. I'll put a lot of seed there. Or, that looks like really, that's kind of a path. People are going to be walking. I'm not going to put seed there. And, and as you see, that's really not the case at all. What happens is he just sows everywhere. And Jesus is pretty clear on that because he describes what happens to the seeds as they fall in all these different soils. So remember that. As we, as we, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But remember that. He's not selective. He's just kind of willy-nilly sowing, and I don't mean to say willy-nilly, but he's purposefully sowing everywhere. He's not selective. He doesn't discriminate. So what about the seed then? What are we to be sowing? What is it that we sow? What is the seed we're sowing? And the answer, according to Christ, is the word. We're going to sow the word. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be sowing. So if that's what we're going to be sowing, I think we should spend just a few minutes understanding what that really is. We say the gospel, particularly in, in churches, we say the gospel and we get this kind of broad picture. We think, oh yeah, the gospel. Well, everything Jesus said and everything he did, that's sort of in his life, that's the gospel. And really that's not quite accurate. See, the gospel is a narrow, very specific truth about Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and, and here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm doing that. Paul was an apostle of Christ who came after the other apostles. He didn't walk with Christ directly. Um, he was actually initially persecuting those people who followed Christ because he was, he was a, a Jew and a very strict religious Jew, and he thought that this, this new thing was bad, and so he went to persecute it. And he had a supernatural encounter with Christ on a trip he was taking to a place called Damascus. And during that encounter, Jesus revealed to him the truth of who he was. And he taught Paul amazing truths and imparted to him fantastic knowledge. And he was then going to be the, the evangelist, if you will, or the teacher of the Gentiles. He was going to take the message of the gospel to the non-Jews of the world. And so that's who Paul is. So he has this fantastic insight. And he did that. He went around to different cities and planted churches. And then he would, he would teach everything that Jesus taught him in, then, or in that encounter. And then he would move on and go to another city and another city and another city. And you can read about those journeys in, in the book of Acts. And so it, one of the cities he went to, Corinth, 
So uh, he went there and he taught them and they were believers and he started a church. Then he left and went and did some other, some other parts of his trip. But the people there, he was getting word back that the people there were starting to misinterpret and misunderstand what the gospel was, what the message is, what he had taught them was getting twisted. They were adding things to it. They were twisting it around. And so he writes this letter, just kind of correct them and say, hey, let me remind you again what, what, the, what the important stuff is. So we're going to pick that up in, uh, cha- in uh, chapter 15, where Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, this is 1 Corinthians. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So he's going to tell them. He said, he's setting it up. He said, I'm going to tell you the kernel the important nugget, the core of what we stand on and what has saved us. And so then he goes on and says, for what I received, which is during that supernatural encounter with Christ, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the top thing. First importance, highest priority. This is what we stand on. This is the non-negotiable. And he says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's it. That is the gospel. It's not everything else. It's that, that truth. That's the core. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what he doesn't say that the gospel is. He doesn't mention anything about Jesus' teaching. The Sermon on the Mount isn't anywhere in there. It's not in there. The Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching, his words to his his followers were words of life, certainly. Words that we need to incorporate incorporate so that we can walk this Christian walk. It's important, but it is not the gospel. He didn't mention Jesus' miracles or his healing of people, or the way he loved people, or his sacrifice for people on this earth. He didn't mention that. Those are amazing things and examples we should walk in and strive to be like, but they are not the gospel. See, we we broaden it into this bigger thing than it is. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, period. That's the gospel. And here's why that's so amazing. It's, this, is, this is why the simplicity of that is so amazing. Because when we take that truth, that gospel, and we intersect it with our dilemma as human beings, as created uh, beings of, of God, our dilemma is that we are fallen, we are sinful, we are separated from God. Ever since the fall, Adam chose to rebel. Adam basically said, I know you think you're God, but I'm going to be God. I'm going to decide. And once he did that, he sinned and he broke fellowship with God. And every one of us are descendants of that brokenness. And you may say, well, I didn't choose. You would have made the exact same choice. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll see it declared over and over again. You're the same. We are all Adam. We have separated ourselves from God because of that sin. Once we recognize that and apply this simple, narrow gospel to that situation, God is saying, Jesus died for your sins according to the scripture. That means the penalty, the punishment for your sin, the thing that is keeping you from God, 
doesn't get applied to you. He now takes your payment that you're supposed to make, which you can't, and he lets Jesus pay it. And Jesus can because he lived perfectly. So that gospel intersecting our dilemma as fallen creations is the good news. And that's what we sow. We sow the gospel, which is according to the word, and how it applies to our life, how it applies to our sinful, lost condition. The gospel applied to our condition is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we sow. And that's why it's so important. And that's why Paul reiterated that there at the end. And now what's interesting is that is a, that's a pretty simple, I mean, that's really not complex. That's a basic foundational understanding that we must have. And so Jesus, in these examples, he's teaching in parables. And I want to make some comparisons here. If the reason he teaches in parables is if you don't have the foundational understanding for whatever the, whatever the concept you're, you're talking about, okay? If you don't have a foundational understanding, you can't understand the deep and complex parts of it. So, for instance, and I'll, and I'll draw this back to Scripture in a second. You can't learn calculus if you don't know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. If I ask you to do trigonometry and you don't already understand geometry and algebra, you won't do it. You don't have the foundation to stand on first. When Jesus is teaching in parables, many of the parables are teaching a more complex, deeper truth about who God is and how he rolls. If you don't have a right understanding initially of who God is, if you don't understand, for instance, in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that were present, they were confused by Jesus' parables because even though they had been given all of the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't have a right understanding of who God was. They didn't understand what God's kingdom was going to be. They didn't understand that the Messiah was going to come and it was going to be a spiritual kingdom. They wanted this earthly rule. And because they didn't understand that, Jesus was not going to try to give them something deeper, so he taught in parables. If they had right understanding, they probably would have understood the parables. But they didn't. So, that's, that's, so I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. We're going to come back now to our historical account. So that's the gospel. That's what we're to sow. Okay, so the seed we're sowing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and applied to our lives as lost creation. But don't mishear me. I'm not, I'm not saying we don't teach because we do. We don't teach on what Jesus said. Oh, we need to be teaching what Jesus said. We need to understand his miracles. We need to understand how he loved and how he sacrificed as a man for people. That's, that's words of life and how we walk our Christian faith. But it is not what saves you. You can know all about Jesus' teaching. But if you don't understand that he died for you and that he was raised again on the third day, you're, you'll not be saved. That's it. That's the gospel that saves you. So I'm not saying, so don't mishear me. I'm not saying that. Don't go say, well, they would say, we don't need to be teaching. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, so back to our historical story. So this is, so Jesus is teaching this. We've talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about the farmer or the sower. We talked about the seed. So now, remember when I said, uh, when we talked about the farmer, remember when I said um, he's not picking and choosing? I said, we're going to come back to that in a minute. We're going to come back to that now. And we know that he doesn't pick and choose because some of the seed had basically no effective result at all. Right? Some of the seed, he said, just got eaten by the birds, nothing happened. Some of the seed started to grow, but it were immediately withered by the sun. As soon as, as soon as persecution pushed back, they gave up, they walked away. That's the same way we're called to sow. See, we don't, we don't, we don't dis discriminate. We don't say, well, that guy is a total loser. There's no way he's going to hear what I'm going to say. I'm not going to waste my seed on that. I'm going to waste my time on that guy. When I can talk to somebody who maybe grew up in church and maybe isn't saved yet, I'd rather spend my seed there. That's not what we see in the parable. That's not the picture we see. 
Every kind of soil gets seed. You see, the soil does not determine whether we sow the word. We're just called to sow. Whether we sow or not is not determined by the soil that you're sowing it into. We sow in all soils. So let's talk about the soils, which are really not that hard to understand. Jesus gives a pretty good description, right? So um, the first one is the, the path, right? The seeds fall on the path. And he says right away the birds come and take it up before they can have a chance to understand. So these are people that... Um, Perhaps they they don't know anything about the word. Maybe they have an experience where somebody invites them to a somebody invites them to some evangelistic meeting or whatever, and they, they hear the word and they go, yeah, yeah, I'm all about that. And or they invite them to church. There's a good message, and they kind of feel convicted, and 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 they make a decision, or they think they make a decision without any real understanding, but they know they don't want to die and go to hell. And you know, if, if the pre, if you're doing a fire and brimstone sermon, and all they know is they want to avoid, I want to get out of jail free card. You know, I don't want to have to do that. So they sort of accept it, but then the minute they walk out, they don't have any root. There's nothing that, there's no understanding. They don't understand it. And then maybe they go to work and, and people kind of talk them out of it. And they, but the minute they walk away, it's gone. Satan will send something, whether it's a distraction or another person, to just swoop that up before they can really grasp what happened. I want you to notice another thing about the path. The path is well-worn. The path has a lot of activity. People don't walk in the field, but you walk in the path, you're going to bump into all kinds of things, all sort of distractions, all kinds of things that, can, that are busy that can keep you from your understanding. So if the seed falls there, according to this parable, it never really takes root at all. It's just taken away. And then there's the shallow soil or the rocky soil. And the shallow soil, that'd be... So maybe somebody does go to a, a Carmen concert, or they go see Chris Tomlin because a friend invited them, and they, they like music, but they don't really get it. But during that, they sort of, they kind of say, you know what, Lord, I, I, there's something to this, and I, I really should take that. And, and it says they receive it with joy when Jesus described it. So they're all about it. And, and, and it's real, and it starts to take some root, and you start maybe seeing some initial flourishing, and you, know, you kind of maybe keep, keep in touch with them a little. But over time, the world kind of pushes. Maybe they go back to work after a couple days, and, and uh, the guys at work are making fun of them. Oh, you're into that Jesus thing. Oh, you found God. You know, whatever. And they kind of push back as soon, and it says as soon as there's persecution, as soon as there's pushback because of the word, so the word they receive, as soon as they get some pushback on that, they kind of give up. They just, they just go back to leaning on whatever they leaned on before. They go back to the regular crowd of people, and that's the influence, and it says they wither and they die. So that, that, that doesn't survive. They, they give up. Then there are those who receive the message, the, the thorny soil, and they get some growth, right? And, and it, it, the roots are trying to kind of get deep because there's potential plants there. There's maybe room for roots, but, but all of a sudden there's all this competition in, in our lives, competition for the priority position that priority spot in your life. There's all these things competing for that. And Steve touched on that a little bit the last couple of weeks, talking about we're just bombarded constantly with everything else is important. And so maybe, maybe and, it's, and it's insidious. It doesn't necessarily have to happen like, like I go home and I'm immediately fighting with everything. Maybe, here I'm gonna give you just an example. And this is not a true story. This is just a possibility. So a young couple gets married, or young couples together, they're married, um, and they, they come to Christ, they come to a church, and they both become believers, and they get involved, and they're excited, and they're growing, and their roots are getting deep, and all that. And then they have a kid, or two, 
or three or four. Maybe they're trying to keep up with the Drapers or the Ashelmans, and they have seven or nine or whatever, you know. So anyway, they're having children, right? And so the guy, as we always do, right? We always do this, oh, dude, man, this is expensive. I need to, maybe I need to put in some more hours at work, or maybe I'll be looking for a promotion. And so little by little, you go, well, I'm going to take some of my time now and add it to what I was already doing to kind of work on our income. And then maybe when you were, when it was just the two of you, maybe she drove you to work in the morning and came home, so she'd have a car, and you, that was okay. And then, but now you're like, hey, we need to at least get a second car, because now you got three kids and whatever. And and so you get another car, so it's another bill you got to pay. So now I really got to work on that promotion. And now I got to maintain the car. And then you go, well, you know, we can't even fit in this house anymore. We've got like two bedrooms and six kids and whatever. So you got to get a bigger house. And so it's insidious. Now, I'm not against two cars or big houses. We have, we have a car and a truck, and I got a motorcycle. I mean, so that's not it. The point is, what happens is, if your, plate, if your plate is so full that you start adding things to it, and what you do is you just kind of scrape God off the side of the plate. Like, he, I just ain't got time for that anymore. Little by little, it happens, and pretty soon, he's not even in the top two or three of your priority list anymore because all this other stuff is pressing in. That's the thorny soil. That stuff comes in and chokes out your fruit. Now, in the parable, does Jesus say that that plant dies? No. Right? You're still... You're still, you still got your roots, but you're not making fruit. You're not bearing grain. You're not effective for the kingdom because you're so busy with other priorities in your life, things that are, you've made more important than God. And, and let me tell you, this can happen to any one of us, me included. You could have been a believer for a long time and get yourself involved in things where you just get so busy. And it could even be a good thing. You could be, so getting, you could be getting so involved with ministry which, I mean, it just blows your mind. Like, what? I could do, you could be working so hard for the Lord that you're no good use to Him. Because you, you give up your devotional life. You give up your personal time. Remember last week, Steve taught, even Jesus, Jesus, who was God, needed to get away from the crowd, get away from all that competition, alone with God so He could replenish and re-strengthen so He'd come back and be effective for the kingdom. We have to do the same thing. And if you're allowing all these things to come in, it, it, it can choke out your ability to make fruit. But, and, and, and that's just the way it is. So we need to be thinking about that. Now, hey, the last thing is the good soil. So we'll just move on to that. Good soil. That's where it was fertile. It land, the seed hit. It took root. It's growing. It's, all those things are happening. It's just amazing. They're producing 30, 40, 60, 100 times you know, so that's maybe within a year, they've got a small group of their own, and they've got a men's group, and they're doing camp and all these things, but they're maintaining their alone time with God, and they're able to keep it going, and that's the good soil, right? And let's face it, we all want to be the good soil, right? Let me rephrase that, because that's not really an accurate statement, because I think the accurate statement is this. We all wish we were the good soil, because if all of us, and I'm, I'm looking at me too here, so... If we wanted to be the good soil, we would do whatever it takes to be the good soil. If you want to be the good soil, you'll do whatever it takes. If you want a bigger house, you'll brown bag it. You do whatever you got to do. You know, I'm not eating. I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch because it's too expensive. I'm saving up money for this new house. You'll do whatever it takes to get what you want. So if you want to be and have good soil, you would do whatever it takes to be and have good soil. You can't wish it and make it true. It's not going to happen.
talking about this spending time alone with the Father, uh, here's a key, a key I want you to remember. As believers, it's important for us to cultivate our soil. Examine your soil. Walk through the rows between the plants of your faith and see if there are weeds growing up. See if there are thorns growing up. Are there things in your life that are pushing you and bending you away from what you're supposed to be doing? Maybe, just maybe, and I'm spitballing here, we, learned a, we need to learn a new word. No. I can't do that. I can't take that on. No, I really, I really shouldn't do that. See, if we start balancing uh, there's these requests against where am I at in my faith walk with God? How is my devotion time? If I take on this thing, it could be a ministry thing. If they come and say, hey, can you help us out in children's ministry? You need to weigh that against where am I at in my devotional life? It's gonna, if it's going to push God closer to the edge of that plate, you might need to say no. Or give something else up so that you can fit that on your plate and keep God in the center. We don't say no very good in our culture. We really need to, really need to work on that. So another point too, because so back to the soils. There's all kinds of soils we seed in. How many farmers we got in here? Do we have? Far Come on, there's got to be some farmers. Farmers, farmer, 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 farmer. We're in an agricultural community, right? A lot of farmers here. What do you do before you plant? Anyone? You prepare the soil, whatever that. I'm, I'm going to use that term because I'm not a farmer. All I know is they got these big tractor thingies. Zip, and they look really fancy, and they're bright green and yellow, or they're red, and they zip around the fields making all kinds of dust and dirt for my car, and that happens. But they're doing something to the soil because they're getting ready to plant. They're getting ready to sow. In the same way, we should be trying to prepare the soils of those people we're sowing into. We prepare the soil by exampling for them Christ's love, by showing them, by having relationship with them. See, they may be on the path, or they may be the rocky soil, but soil can be amended. You can add things to the soil to make it more likely to have healthy plants. So part of our role might be to enter into relationships with these folks, show them Christ's love. Maybe they come at you with anger and, and they're rebelling, and your answer back to that is still loving, still giving. Maybe you'll sacrifice financially for them to help meet their need, or your time for them to help meet something they need. Or maybe they'll see an example of you being in, in uh, disagreement with somebody, and you respond like Christ, and they see that. You example how to be Christ, and their soil slowly is amended and cultivated. We're supposed to cultivate the soil then when we're sowing seeds, it begins to take root, and the root gets deeper because now they have better soil. Now, I'm not talking about doing the work of the Holy Spirit because we don't do that. I can't save anybody. I can't make that seed grow in somebody. You can't save anybody. You can't make that seed grow in somebody. But let me tell you this. God has chosen in his plan to do the work of his kingdom through his people. He doesn't do it all just miraculously, supernaturally. He has given us work to do for his kingdom. Um, I have a favorite teacher of mine that I listen to. His name is Chuck Missler. Um, and he says it this way, and I really like this statement. He says, without God, we can't do it. That's what I'm saying. We're not in the Holy Spirit. 
uh, only, only in the Holy Spirit's strength do we accomplish anything. So we're not doing anything to someone's heart. The Holy Spirit is. But he wants to use us to do it. So Chuck Missler says this, without God, we can't do it. But without us, he won't. See, that's not because he's unable, but he's chosen a plan that includes you and I doing that work. We do God's work. We don't do his job. His job is to change hearts. Ours is to prepare soils and sow seeds. That's what we do. It's his design. It's not our design. And I want to make one final point here. Um, you know, in, all, in this parable, you see multiple parts, and we kind, of, we kind of walk through them. We have the sower, right? And let me tell you, sometimes the sower maybe isn't that great at doing it. Maybe we don't sow perfectly. Maybe somewhere in our lives, as we're trying to cultivate the soil, we step out somewhere, and, we, and they see it. And we're responsible for that. Okay, I, I get that. But the sower isn't always perfect, right? So, so that's one thing. And then... And also the soil. The soil can just be terrible, terrible soil. Or it can be really, really good soil. Or it can be somewhere in between that at any place. And we can't always, we don't always get a say in what the soil is we're sowing into. So we could be, we could not sow perfectly and the soil could not be very good. But let me tell you the, the beauty of the whole thing. The seed, however, the seed is always perfect. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always flawless. The seed will never fail. The seed will never be the reason someone's heart is not changed. We sow the perfect seed. The soil could be accountable. You could maybe not do it perfectly, but the seed will never fail. Matter of fact, God declares this in Isaiah, in chapter 55. God declares his word, it was perfect, and it will not return without a result. He says this. And it's not on the screen. Just listen. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So he's saying the water doesn't just fall from the, from the clouds and evaporate right back up. The water goes down. It waters the soil. The soil produces plants. The plants produce seed. And then we can make bread and eat. He said, my purpose for that water is accomplished. And then he says this, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. I will not, or it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. And it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word, the seed is perfect. It will never be without effect. We, have, we can't account for the soil, and maybe we don't always sow perfectly, but the seed will never fail. We may not see the result. Oftentimes we won't. You may sow. You may have a chance encounter with somebody. You sow a little seed and you never see them again. You have no idea what that does. It may not save that person, but it may have some effect. God says if you sow the word, it will never be empty, ever. God is always watching over his word. He doesn't let it fail. He doesn't let it be uh, uh, fruitless. We just may not see it. We are simply called to just sow. We cultivate where we can. Cultivate, cultivate. Both others and ourselves. We keep our soil healthy. We cultivate the soils where we can, but we're always sowing. Always sowing. Always sowing. That's what the parable teaches us.